Well, I was raised in my junior high years in, in Missouri, and, and Missouri is known as the show-me state. And I see our evangelist, Dr. Purdue. Have you noticed, are people different in different parts of the country? Is that, is that possible that in some places people have a different attitude? Show, in Missouri, were the show-me state, were, were they more skeptical than others? You, you tell me. No? No? You can, okay, you didn't tell? You know, it, it's known as the show-me state, and, and, and the reason being that supposedly in, in Missouri, you have to show them. They're, they're skeptical. They have, to, they have to see first. They have to have all the facts. They, they, they don't trust easily. And in a lot of ways, I think a, a lot of us may be show-me uh, in, in the way we live our lives. I, I think about getting married, I, I, and I'm just curi- curious, any mail-order brides in here? No, any arranged marriages in here? No, you know, we, we like to go through uh, the research process in marriage, and the research process is called dating. <laughs> you, you know, we get to know the, the person that, that we're going to marry. We get to know them first, and, and there's this whole process of, of gathering information. But there's times you have to move beyond information and, and, and knowledge that you can gain. There's, there's time that you trust and, and move beyond just what you know. I, I think a marriage relationship is a perfect example of that because in, in that research stage dating, <laughs> you still don't know all about the other person. And, and when you come down that aisle, there's a, a level of trust in that it's not just based on the information that you've gained about the person that, that makes you trust and commit to the marriage. It's, it, it's, it's more about the love that you have for the other person and the love that you believe they have for you. And, and, and I think that's important because I think that is the basis for trust. Love, not clarity, not information, is the basis of trust. There, there's this uh, story, Mother Teresa, everybody knows who Mother Teresa is. Mother Teresa is this uh, great nun that, that practiced and served at, among the poorest and the poor in Calcutta. And, and someone came to Mother Teresa and said, how do you have such clarity? How do you have such, uh, such assurance and, and clarity of God's call in your life? And, and Mother Teresa said, I have never had clarity, but I've always had trust. I kind of like that. You know, she said, you know, I, I didn't know everything, but I always trusted God. You know, this is a powerful struggle all of us have, to, to, the, this fear of the unknown and, 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 and this, this wanting to trust but, but, but not being willing to risk. And, and to be honest, even, even aside from all the spiritual implications of trust, it, it's possible just in your day-to-day life that this inability to trust can, can, can cause you to live a mundane life, a life with no risk, a life where you never take any chances, a life where you never try anything new. A li- I know people that will not try new food, right? Does that bug you? And you say, have you ever tried it? And they said, no. Well, how do you know you won't like it? Well, I just know I won't like it. Life can be like that, this inability to trust, this inability to take a chance because of this this fear of the unknown. It can cause us to lose opportunities and and even beyond just, you know, silly things like not trying different foods. It it 
causes us to lose opportunities in life, jobs and, and relationships and, and new experiences just because we have to have all the facts and we have to know everything before we try anything new. This fear of the unknown. And I, I think the fear of the unknown in relation to serving God can, can be a limiting thing in your life. Not understanding or not being able to grab hold on what God wants in your life because you're so afraid of what you don't know. I worked for a while as a, a security guard. And uh, I worked at, um, in Dayton at the truck and bus and Harrison Radiator and uh, they, they, had a, they, they had a building downtown Dayton off Monument, and this building was probably 100 years old, uh, probably long, older than that. And, and 20%, they was probably using 20% of the buildings. The rest of the buildings they weren't using. But as a security guard, we had to make sure even the parts of the buildings they weren't using didn't burn down. <laughs> and, and the homeless people that were living in those parts of the building, we had to make sure they were at least not visible, Right? And so you do these rounds, and, and you go to an old medical part of the, of the facility uh, way on the other side of the campus. And, and then there was a, a building that was like eight stories of offices, uh, just row after row of offices. And, and the doors, the, the hallway was like this wide. So apparently back in the 19th century when they built this building, they didn't have big hallways. The people must have been a lot thinner. And, and, and the doors would just be open a little bit, and it'd be dark, and you'd have to walk down hall after hall. And, and i got to tell you, not, there wasn't a part of the campus that, that really concerned me that much, but walking down that dark hall with those dark doors, those open doors and dark offices on both sides could, could almost freeze you. And it's, I didn't hear that there was anybody with an axe in there. There was probably nothing in there but a few raccoons and rats. Uh, there was probably no one in the building, but, but I always thought if I would ever just stop, that would have been the end. And then it found me the next morning with my thumb in my mouth huddled in a corner somewhere. You know, the fear of the unknown. It, it can freeze us. It, it can lock us up. And it's the dark rooms of life where you're walking down the hallway and you don't know what to expect and you don't know what's next. It's the what-ifs and the might-bes that causes more fear in our life than the things that we really know. You ever went to the doctor and had something going on and they're running tests and they can't figure out what's going on? You know what I found? I found that people struggle more not knowing than knowing. That they would rather a doctor come back and say, hey, this is the diagnosis and this is what's going to happen, as opposed to not knowing. The might be's, the what ifs. They, they cause fear, they, they can freeze us up. We've been exploring this concept of, of trust without borders, and, and last week we said trust brings meaning to life, and, 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 then, and then we said that trust makes faith personal, and, and it, it's, it's taking this faith and, and taking steps of trust that makes faith personal to us, and, and, and now we're starting to explore the barriers to, to trust in our life, to fully trusting God. And I would say this, overbearing fear of the unknown limits trust. And, and I carefully use the word overbearing because I believe some 
fear of the unknown is natural and right. It, it is a, a way that we protect, and, and, and by no means say pastor is saying we shouldn't learn as much information as we should. But, but there's some natural fear of the unknown. It, that's why if you were to go to a pool and climb up on the top of, of the highest high dive, and get ready to jump into the pool, you would make sure there was water in the pool first, right? If you were to walk up to a fence, and the fence was closed, and it looked like there could be a dog, you would make sure there wasn't a pit bull with foaming at the mouth in that yard before you opened the gate, right? You know, the fear of the unknown, it, it causes us to, to make reasonable, take reasonable steps to obtain information. It's why when you get a cup of hot coffee, you don't just gulp it down, but you sip it first, right? It, it's why when you walk across the street, you, and you do do this, right, you look both ways. You know, the fear of the unknown causes us to take some reasonable steps to determine what's going on. It's why we use the rearview mirrors. Do you use the rearview mirrors in your car? Other than check makeup or, you know, check the face or anything like that. It's why we use rearview mirrors because we want to assess where we are in relation to other people and other things. And so the fear of the unknown causes us to take some natural protective steps. But I want you to know, to trust, we must move beyond what we know. Overbearing fear can keep us from good risk. It, it can keep us from meeting new people. It can keep us from trying new things. It can keep us from challenging ourselves. It can keep us from full relationship with other people. It can keep us from finding God's full will in our life. Overbearing fear of the unknown limits trust. And it works against trust without border. There's this, an, an old story, you guys are all familiar with it. It's Abram's call. It's in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The beginning of Abram's call. Genesis 12, beginning of verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75. 75 years old, and he leaves everything. Now, now when we leave places now, it's a little bit different. You know, when we leave places, there's still... Facebook and cell phones and telephones and, and, and you can still, there's still the U.S. post office, right? The U.S. post office is still in existence. You can send cards, you can, you, you can instant FaceTime, you can instant message, all these ways of connections and sometimes people show up for holidays and on vacation at your door. So, so we could move across the country and not be gone. Abram is gone. 
No more connection with his family. No more contact. Nobody's going to show up at his door on vacation because they don't know where he is. And some of you are saying, man, that doesn't sound too bad. He's gone. When somebody gets sick, he's not going to get a call or a card or even know. He's just gone. Now yet, he's leaving the protection of the family. See, in those days, we have policemen and we have security guards and we have home alarm systems. And some of you probably have guns under your seats in your car. Hopefully you don't have them under your seats in here. We have all these ways of protection that... that, that but, but, but for Abram, family and clan was protection. It, it was the way that, that, that things got done and, and property was secured was through the clan. And Abram just left it all behind. You know, there's this fascinating part of this. And at the end of chapter 13, it says that Terah began, he, he was an Ur, and they went to the Chaldeans and, and, and then they stopped. He was on his way to Canaan, but he stopped. And, and, and I've always wondered about this part of the story because there's not a lot of clarity. And, and, and I don't know, it's just fascinating to me because I've always wondered, what, was, was he called first? What, was what, was Tara called first and, and he didn't follow God all the way? Or, or did... Tara just modeled this ability to take a chance and take a risk. And maybe that's why God was able to call Abram, because he saw in his father someone that was willing to take a risk. i got to tell you, I like that version better than the first version, because that inspires me. I want to be a person that when my boys look at my life, they say, my dad was willing to take a risk for God. Because I believe when that's modeled, when God asks my kids to take a risk, they'll say, yeah, I can do that. So Abram goes, and he, he leaves everything, and he didn't have the where, when, and how questions answered. He, he kind of knew where, but he had never been to Canaan. He, he didn't investigate the land. He didn't send spies over. I think about my move to, to Marysville, and, and you know, be, before we, we began this transition, this move to Marysville, I investigated Marysville. I came up. We met with you. We met with your board. We had some ideal about the church. We had some ideal about property values. We had some ideal about Union County. We made sure there was a Chipotle and a Cold Stone before we said yes. <laughs> Abram didn't know if there was a Chipotle in Canaan or not. He didn't know anything about the land. He just knew God was calling him there. He didn't know when. One year, two years, five years, ten years, 15, 25 years? How long would it take for this promise to be fulfilled? And you, know, you, you think about his name. Abram means exalted father. And in a lot of ways, this, 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 his name even mocked who he was. It, it mocked this ideal of trusting. He's exalted father and he has no kids. How long till he possessed the land? He didn't know how he would possess the land. He, he didn't, you know, when, when we make a, a purchase now, we get on Zillow, uh, Zillow or get a realtor and we, we, we check the market, we put a, our house for sale. And, and I'm telling you all this because I am intimately involved with this very process right now. 
pray that pastor's house will sell, okay? You know, we, we have all of our things. We, we understand how we're going to possess land and what's going to happen. But, but for Abram, it was different. He didn't even have an heir. And to die without an heir meant that there would be no possession of any land in the promised land. And I've always thought, why did he take Lot? Was Lot just looking for an adventure? Was, was, was Lot just his favorite nephew? Or was he everyone else's least favorite nephew and they made Abram take him with him? I don't know. Or is maybe Abram hedging his bets just a bit? Here's my heir just in case. I don't know. But Abram did not know how the land would be possessed because he did not have children. Abram didn't know where he was going. <laughs> he knew Canaan. He didn't know how he was going to get there. Didn't know how long it would take. And some of you women are saying, every time I get in the car with my husband, that is like every trip we've ever taken. The Hebrews writer says it like this in Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abram, when he was called, obeyed. By going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> what, in my words, that's the Hebrew writer. He didn't know where he was going. But God called, and he went. You know, the Hebrews writer uses the word, Abraham instead of Abram and there's a significance to the name Abram meant exalted father Abraham means father of many and by trusting God Abram becomes Abraham not just exalted father but the father of many and I I, I think that's significant because God can bless us beyond our expectations when we trust beyond what we know when we let go of having to have everything lined up and everything in order, God can bless us beyond ourselves and even beyond our own expectations. All Abram wanted was a son, and God said, I'm going to make you the father of many because you trusted me. So where are we? Are we frozen by fear? Do we want all of our questions answered before we move now, sometimes God gives direction. He, he gives us a, a mission and a purpose and a direction, and, and yet we do not move until God gives us further instruction. <laughs> There's an old show. Anybody ever see the old show Mission Impossible? And not the one with Tom Cruise in it, okay? Those of you under 40, Mission Impossible's not Tom Cruise. You know, the, the star was Jim Peter Graves, okay. Jim, I think was his name. He'd go to a secluded location and find a, a tape player and it would give him this mission and say, your mission, if you decide to accept it, is. And then in 30 seconds, this tape will self-destruct. You know, God's message doesn't self-destruct. But, but I do believe God, sometimes God gives us a direction and he just expects us to walk in the direction that he's given us. Maybe going, not knowing exactly how everything will work out. We don't need all of our questions answered to trust God. 
And as a matter of fact, trust kind of implies that not every detail of life will be worked out. That we're trusting, relying on God. Could it be this morning God saying, you don't need more clarity. You don't need more information. You need to just trust me. You know, the Bible's full of stories of people going, not knowing. I, I love the story of Philip. Philip's in the midst of this great revival in the book of Acts, and he's in Samaria, and people are being saved. And God says, hey, Philip, I want you to go stand on this street corner for a while. And so Philip just gets up and goes. I just kind of imagine him leaning against a white post, waiting for God to do something. And here comes his chariot. And God says, hey, I want you to go run next to that chariot for a while. And, and I got to, it, some of these stories, I, I, I chuckle when I read them. I, and may, maybe no one else does this. Maybe that's not the spiritual thing to do. But I just see Philip running around by that chariot waiting for this guy to ask him a question. He doesn't know the end of the story. He doesn't know why God's having him do this. All he knows is God said, hey, I want you to go stand here. And now I want you to run next to this chariot for a while. And then there's this great dialogue with this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and he accepts Christ is his Savior, he's baptized right there in this great salvation moment just because Philip went not knowing. So how do we get to this point where, where, where we can face the unknown and, and we can get beyond having perfect clarity and, and we can conquer our fears and, and we can trust God? What if the answer was love? and not more information. Well, what if the answer was understanding God's love? In 1 John 4, the great apostles talking about facing the greatest unknown any of us will ever, ever face, which is death. And at some point, we're all going to die. And, and probably of, of all the things that's the most unknown to us as living beings is this ideal of crossing over from life to death into the presence of God and judgment, right? It's, that's the perfect example of the unknown. In the midst of this dialogue of talking about facing the unknown, John the Apostle says, perfect love drives out fear. <laughs> it's love, not clarity, that's the basis of trust. Jesus uses often this image of his heavenly father and, and the imagery of a father. And he talks about his father as being perfect, as giving good gifts, as, as every good gift coming from the father above. James uses that language. And Jesus uses this, this, this imagery all the time. Your heavenly father disciplines you. Your heavenly father cares for you. This unconditional love that God is pouring out on you and I. He loves us. And Jesus goes back over and over to this imagery. So the question is, where are you this morning? Are you trusting God with the unknown? Because all of us have unknown things, unknown parts of our life. All of us have open doors with dark rooms. Can you sense God's love? Are you constantly striving for more information? And maybe God's saying, you don't need more information, you just need a a better understanding, a better awareness of my love. Maybe it's just an ordinary thing, afraid to try a new job or challenge yourself or, 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 or 
or maybe you're just not building the relationships, you're living with less, but maybe it's God's will. You know, maybe God's calling you in a relationship issue to give forgiveness, and you just don't know what that would look like. And, and God's saying, you've got to forgive, and, and you're so afraid, and you're looking for, for a way out or further information. And God's saying, you just got to trust me. Or maybe in giving. I, I think giving is a difficult thing at times. When, because, you know, budgets are, better, budgets are easier when you keep all the money yourself, it seems like, right? You know, and maybe God's saying you need to tithe or you need to be generous and, or you may need to, to give here and, and you're thinking, but how does that look and how does that work? And, and God's saying, you've got to trust me or service. Maybe God's calling you to work in the kids' department when Pastor Kim, this is the shameless VBS plug, by the way. Pastor Kim asked if you could help and, and God's calling you that direction and, and maybe you just need to trust him even if you don't know exactly what that looks like or the teens or, or being part of a small group. God's calling you somewhere to serve, to give, to go, to do, to, 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 to seek healing and relationship and he's asking you and he's giving you direction but you just don't know how it looks and God's saying, can't you just trust me? Can't you trust that your father knows what's best? You don't need more clarity. You just need to understand your father's love. Last week, we, we closed with Jesus' last words on the cross, and he says, Father, I place my hands into your, or my life into your hands. Why? He trusted. But, but what was the basis of that trust? You know, Jesus is a, and, and, and some may disagree with me here, and it's, it's fine, but, but Jesus is, is so hard to put a handle on. Because I want you to know that Jesus was all God. That was a good time to say amen. Jesus was all human. That's another good time to say amen. Because it gives me hope. You know, and the the divinity and the humanness of Jesus is all wrapped into one. And I got to tell you, it is a divine mystery that we cannot understand on this side of heaven. At some point, I think we will. But this mystery of the God-man. And sometimes we can make Jesus so divine that he loses all humanity in connection with us. And on the other hand, sometimes we can make Jesus so human that he loses all divinity and he loses the ability to be the proper sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was all God and all man. And he trusted his heavenly Father. Say, well, you know, when, when Jesus was on the cross, he had perfect understanding of everything that was going on. I don't know if he did or not. And I'll tell you why, because Scripture doesn't reflect that. Jesus says, as he's dying on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a Scripture that I struggle with. Maybe you've never struggled with that scripture. But I look at that scripture and I see the perfect son saying, why have you forsaken me? And, and questioning this last hour. And, you know, there, there's different ways you could look at it. You know, maybe Jesus is just quoting scripture. Or maybe Jesus is trying to understand his circumstances. There's not doubt in the Father, but maybe he's not understanding why does it have to hurt so much? Why do I have to feel so alone? Maybe Jesus isn't quoting scripture, but maybe scriptures are quoting Jesus <laughs> prophetically. 
What if Jesus experienced uncertainty because we experience uncertainty? What if he understands you because he's been exactly where you are? I don't know to you, but, but that's powerful to me. To think that Jesus would give up everything so he could understand how I feel when everything doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't trust the Father because the circumstances made sense. The, the, the basis of Jesus' trust was not that everything was lined up and okay and exactly how he wanted it to be and it made perfect sense. He didn't place his, hand, his life in the Father's hands because of that, because he understood the circumstances. Jesus could trust because he could accept the Father's love, even in a circumstance where he had questions. That's where we live. We live in this time where every circumstance doesn't make sense. And we don't have perfect understanding. And it's in the midst of that that we've got to trust the Father's love. I get a great deal of comfort with the ideal that when Jesus is in heaven with his heavenly Father and I'm going through a circumstance that I don't understand and I say, Lord, I don't understand that Jesus can turn to the Father and say, you know, I know exactly what that feels like. Love, not clarity, is the basis of trust. Let me ask you, can you accept the love of the Father where you are now? In the circumstance that you find yourself in today, even in the uncertainty, perhaps, of the circumstance, can you accept that God loves you? And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this, God profoundly loves you. He loves you so much, he gave Jesus to die in your place. No one, a parent, a brother, a sister, a wife, a kid, no one will ever love you more than God. And you can trust him. We're going to close with a video, and in, in front of you, you have a sheet that uh, has a place where you can write some things, some circumstances maybe you're dealing with. And, 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 and as the video plays, maybe you, you want to write down you know, some circumstance that you're dealing with and be praying about it. Our altars are always available, always available. And maybe you want to come and kneel at an altar. You, you, folks, I understand you're going through circumstances that you maybe don't understand why. And maybe you just need to come to an altar and just meet with God while this video is playing. But we're going to play this, and, and then I'd encourage you to be prayerful, to, to write on your notes, and then I'm going to close this in prayer.